0: What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Wealth Managed podcast. I'm Michael Finca. I'm a professor of wealth management, and I'm here with David Blanchett.
0: Uh, I'm David Blanchett. I'm the head of retirement research for Morningstar and an adjunct professor of wealth management at the American College of Financial Services.
1: David, did I did I wake you up? Who me? Yes. There's a bit of a pause. I was uh, expecting
0: like a longer intro. Like you you it's
1: the new me. I'm I'm all about being concise.
0: All right. So, Michael, you know, a lot of financial advisors think in terms of outcomes along the lines of like probability of success, right? They're doing a financial plan. Is that how economists think about things like investing and spending and accomplishing goals?
1: No, I think this is one of the areas where economists and financial advisors really diverge. I mean, what a financial advisor cares about when they say probability of success is they want to make sure that you have enough money in retirement, that you preserve your assets in retirement to an economist. We're asking, well, why did you save this money in the first place? You saved it so that you could live better in retirement. And we use this, this sort of weird term to describe happiness utility. And and I think, you know, because the term is so awful, it can be denigrated. But the whole concept is based on this idea that when we spend more money, we get greater happiness. But the more we spend the less incremental happiness we get from spending that money. So that is this whole concept of utility. And if you believe that, then you believe that really the objective is to be able to spend as much money in retirement without facing the possibility that you may end up having to spend a lot less because that'll make you very unhappy. So if, you, if you're if you simply focusing on something other than utility, then you end up with these situations where where you're wanting to, for example, preserve your nest egg in retirement and then maybe live off of the income that you get from the nest egg in retirement. And an economist looks at that strategy and says, Well, that's stupid. I mean, first of all, the amount of money that you ended up with at retirement is completely random. It's a a function of what the asset returns were, especially in the decade before you retired. So that number is totally random. And then what is the number for? The number is there to help you live better in retirement. That's what money is. It's just green papers. It's just digits on a computer screen. What actually makes you happy is using the money to spend on things that actually provide you with happiness or utility so utility is what matters and once you buy into that then it allows you to do all sorts of fun things where an economist can look at for example How much risk should you take with your investments? And you can actually back out the amount of risk that's going to provide you with the greatest amount of expected utility. So when you're, David, when you're doing your your models, your objective function is to maximize utility, but that may end up with some results that may seem a little strange to a financial advisor. What are some of those results?
0: So maybe to take things down just a notch, right? So at the end of the day, you want to help clients accomplish their goals, right? And how you quantify that process can lead to very different outcomes. And, you know, most financial planners that run stochastic models, Monte Carlo simulations, are looking at, you know, the outcome through the lens of the probability of success, okay? I think that that's maybe like a decent first approximation, but it's not really how people that do research on spending behaviors, whatever else, think about the outcome. And to Michael's point, you know, people like more stuff, but you know, losing stuff hurts them a lot more. And so, you know, if, if you're using metrics like success as the only lens that you look at when it comes to, is this client going to accomplish a goal, you can get some pretty weird outcomes. And I, You know, one example of where I see plans that might give the wrong result is around things like the value of guaranteed income, you know, and, I, and I'll kind of provide some perspective here because, you know, if you're using success rates, it totally ignores the magnitude of failure. Right, so if you fail, you either do or you don't. It doesn't capture what the the magnitude of failure is, and so I think that you know when you use more advanced metrics, and we use this in research like utility, it actually can lead to a better perspective on what a retirement strategy should be, or really just any strategy for kind of trying to accomplish a goal. Would you agree with that? I, I would, and I think economists
1: in general tend to be in love with this idea of risk management that I think economists love insurance in some cases more than some financial advisors do because they're very fixated on this idea of a random event occurring and causing people to have to spend significantly less. And to, to someone who works in terms of utility, that's the one thing that you want to avoid. You don't necessarily want to make your stash as big as possible. You also want to avoid the worst potential outcome that it could occur. So you're very focused on risk management at the same time that you're focused on building wealth. And I think risk tolerance means something completely different to someone who is an economist versus someone who is used to, for example, the risk tolerance tests that are often given to clients. For an advisor, they're worried about their client totally freaking out if the market falls. But to an economist, risk tolerance means what happens when you spend that money? It's it's focused on utility. It's how willing you are to actually reduce your spending in retirement. And that flexibility is what the concept of risk tolerance is really all about. And it's one of the reasons why, for example, you know. We want to make sure that you avoid the worst possible outcome in retirement, which is when you do run out of money and you have to live on social security as opposed to try to edge out a few extra basis points of returns here and there. We're focused on stability as opposed to other sorts of
0: metrics. I mean, I think that you know a lot of rtqs, I think a better term for it is like risk preference. like how would you feel if things go wrong? It's not really risk tolerance in terms of the outcome itself. It's not, You know, like, how will you react if you go broke, but but aren't those kind of, you know, opposing sometimes I mean if you want to make a financial plan look better on average just invest more in equities right.
1: Right, and this is where I think a lot of problems happen with these Monte Carlo analyses is that oftentimes the only way you can ever meet your goal is by taking a significant amount of investment risk. but you're not looking so much at the distribution of potential outcomes and the amount of utility you would have in each one of those outcomes. So that's the way we as economists do it. We see, all right, how happy would you be if you had this amount of money and you you were able to spend this amount of money in retirement? But also, if you don't get very lucky and you take a lot of risk, how unhappy would you be in this distribution of potential outcomes? There's always a distribution of outcomes, and we weight each one by the amount of utility or happiness we would get. And that means that some of these negative outcomes are overweighted, whereas in a probability of success type of evaluation, you're only looking at the likelihood that you meet a threshold, but you're not looking at the magnitude of failing to meet that threshold. Let's take a break for a moment.
0: Get best-in-class preparation for your exam with our CFP Certification Education Program. Start your journey toward this valued designation at theamericancollege.edu slash CFP.
1: The American College of Financial Services proudly supports the next generation of financial professionals and leaders. I'm Ross Riskin, head of the college's Next Gen Advisory Task Force. And if you're looking for important and timely knowledge on financial planning, career building, networking and more for next gen advisors and those working with next gen clients. Then tune into our Next Gen and 10 podcast. Subscribe and listen to all our episodes at theamericancollege.edu/podcasts. Let's get back to our conversation.
0: Well so I mean, you know, I'm an advisor listening to this and this utility stuff sounds super cool. You know, how do I use it? Like this is interesting theory, but how can I how do I change what I'm doing with clients to better capture this?
1: Well, I think it's actually completely useless. What's that utility? No, day? I'm just. I, <laughs> I, uh,
0: hold on, hold on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope not. I think I think that you know, I, in many ways, advisors have a lot to teach economists because economists, if everybody followed the economist prescription, then you may have a difficult time motivating clients. You may have a difficult time getting them to, to take an adequate amount of risk. You know, in many cases, realistically, a lot of clients don't actually spend down their assets in retirement. So they don't really follow the prescription that economists say that they should follow in retirement, which is that you should actually spend down your money in retirement. You should get close to bouncing the check to the undertaker. That's the economist idea of an optimal withdrawal strategy. But I think something to bear in mind if you are a financial advisor is awareness of the consequences of negative outcomes. Because I think that's where utility really makes an impact when we're doing these models with utility as an objective function. It's that we're actually giving far greater weight to the consequences of the negative outcomes. And I think if you're a financial advisor, it's good to be reminded that part of your job is to make sure that your client doesn't experience the worst possible situation while also encouraging them to take an adequate amount of risk.
0: Yeah. I mean, like one thing that I like more than telling someone a success rate when it comes to a Monte Carlo is to kind of show them, you know, like at age 95 in the worst one in five or one in 10 or one in 20 projections, this is your level of income and don't base your you know, required savings rate, whatever else your strategy off of the success rate, base it off of that kind of magnitude of failure. I don't think that utility theory is gonna work its way into a lot of the tools that advisors use in the near future. But I think focusing on measures that kind of better capture what that bad outcome can be provides maybe more insight into the right decisions to make versus telling someone you have a a 72.78% chance of success.
1: And I think that sort of pervades the way that a lot of these mathematical instruments work in the financial planning profession is that they are very focused on a percent probability of success, and they're not that nuanced when it comes to a range of potential outcomes. And it's very difficult to think in probabilistic terms. I think what we're seeing now in the middle of a pandemic is how bad people are at thinking in probabilistic terms. What is a large risk and what is a small risk? And people have always been that way. But when it comes to personal finance, you have to be the professional, like you have to understand the range of potential outcomes and help the client make more rational decisions that account for that potential range of outcomes. And I think that's all we're asking as economists is to understand that whenever you make a decision or a recommendation, whether there is risk involved, you need to understand the consequences across the range of potential outcomes.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, I think you you touched on this, but I, I you know, to me, like, there's all there's, there's just so much false precision in these estimates, right? So you can you can do a, a hundred thousand simulations and have like a seventy two point six four five percent. I think like that. I think that's ridiculous. Like, I think you tell someone whether it's like very high, high, moderate, low. In some ways, we as an industry condition people to focus on those numbers because that's what like the output is from so many online tools. It's it is, this is your success rate. So I think that. You know, advisors that they're trying to help clients make better choices, focus on on what it means to accomplish a goal and just acknowledge the fundamental uncertainty because, you know, who knows what what returns are going to be over the next 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years. And all that can have a huge impact on what the best or the quote unquote utility maximizing strategy actually is.
1: So what advice would you give to a financial advisors to help them recognize when thinking like an economist might actually be in their own benefit?
0: In theory, it's it's like always in the client's best interest. Now, you know, we often assume that, you know, that Richard has this idea of, of econs in humans where economists assume that people are these like utility maximizing rational human beings and, and people are like Homer Simpson, they don't know what they're doing at all. I think the key is bridging the gap between the two. It's acknowledging that that utility theory and concepts like that can help you make better choices, but also acknowledging that people are a little bit crazy. You've got to kind of bend the best kind of practices for you know using this, this research to help them accomplish their goals.
1: I, I think that the best advisors realize that they that. First of all, they have to know what the optimal is. And I think it's important to understand, to have the depth of knowledge, to be able to be aware of what is optimal. But then recognize that your client's probably not going to get there and you're going to have to use language to get them to nudge them towards the optimal. And that is, I think, the great skill that I've seen among the best of the advisors is they know what the client should optimally do and they know the client is never going to get there. But they use whatever tools. I think this is one of the reasons why the bucket strategy, for example, ended up becoming popular, because even though it may not necessarily be optimal, it's a way of getting clients closer to making what an economist would say is an optimal decision.
0: It's optimally suboptimal. How about that?
1: That's right. And we have to give credit to the great Harold Levinsky for coming up with that concept of op-sub-op that, you know, the the goal of an advisor is to recognize that you're never actually going to get to the optimal point. Get as close as you can with your client. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. This is Michael Finca. I'm David Blanchett. And we'll see you next time. See y'all.
0: For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services.